Welcome to Builder Funnel Radio. If you are a builder, remodeler, or contractor, this is your go-to resource for business growth strategies, as well as marketing and sales tactics. On this show, you'll hear from industry leaders, construction professionals in the trenches, and from our team of digital marketing experts here at Builder Funnel. If you're not growing, you're moving backward, so we want you to always be in growth mode. Let's get started. Hey, welcome to Builder Funnel Radio. This is episode 57 with Eric Fried of The Organic Architect. In this episode, it's a little bit different. We talk about climate change and net zero buildings, um, but it's super fun and super interesting. I learned a lot. We talked about 3D printing. We talked about automation. And Eric does a really good job of building the business case for going green and making sure that you're focused on these things. Uh, We unpack a lot of that. And so I think you'll really enjoy today's episode. Uh, Again, we have some fun with it. There's some cool things out there, new technology. So sit back and relax and enjoy episode 57 with Eric Freed. Hey, Eric, glad to have you on the show today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's, it's, uh, It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm excited because today we're going to spend uh, spend some time on climate change, and I think you kind of <laughs> <laughs> I think you joke because like, oh, is this a comedy killer or is this a you know a topic killer or whatever? But um, I know you're super passionate about it, and for good reason. And we'll kind of get into the weeds on all that. But before we unpack climate change and all that, I guess how did you get into the the construction space and and kind of transition into what you're doing now? It's, it started when I was a little kid and, uh, I would, I would draw buildings, you know, starting around age six or seven. And, um, and my father, who was a, a, a doctor and not artistic at all, <laughs> but for some reason had, he, he had, he had a lot of, uh, graph paper pads and pencils and protractors and compasses and and things like that in his office desk. So I, after school, I would go over to his office while he was treating patients, and I would draw. And uh, and I would just draw buildings, you know, constantly. And so people started asking me if I was going to be an architect, and I didn't I didn't know what that was, uh, but <laughs> but that's how it started. And what's what's amazing about that story is not that it happened. What's what's more amazing is I've I've since met lots and lots of other architects that have a very very similar story. It's what's amazing is how common it is. Yeah, that's super like, interesting. I mean, you start you start when you're little with this almost um, instinctive need to draw, you know, draw your house or draw your surroundings or improve it. Yeah, I think, um, and it's funny because as you were describing that, I was remembering. Like, I'm pretty sure I remember like drawing some skylines and different things, but I also drew a bunch of orca whales, and I didn't do anything with like oceanography or anything like that. So. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I feel like you do, you do hear that a lot or, you know, people just grew up in it and they kind of, you know, worked on job sites or got, you know, did, did things out and, you know, built a, uh, a shed or, you know, something in their backyard and it kind of evolves from there. Um, but I guess fast forward to today, you know, uh, you are an architect, but you're pretty focused on a specific area. So, uh, let's just start with climate change. Cause I think people, either think, oh, well, why should I even worry about this? Or is this something that really impacts me? Um, and they're kind of like, I don't need, even need to worry about it or talk about it. And then you've got people that are pretty passionate about it and, right. uh, you know, are very opinionated. And so, uh, you know, I guess, how should we be thinking about all this? And then how does it weave into construction? Well, you, you know, it's funny because, you know, I, I started as, um, 
as a, I think a pretty, pretty traditional architect in that I, I'd have clients, they'd want something built, I'd design it for them and we'd build it. Uh, Makes sense. But, but even when I was in school, before I even went off on my own, I was, I was pushing this idea of um, being more sustainable, looking at, looking at health and energy use and, and, um, and really was, you know, that was, that was my focus. And that, that's why I named my company Organic Architect, for example, it was really, it was really this emphasis on, um, looking at sustainability before we even called it sustainability. But in the last, in the last five years, and especially in the last three, there's been this um, urgency that I didn't feel over the last 30 years. You know, I, I, I think, I think I thought, well, I'm doing my part. I'm designing green, healthy, sustainable, energy efficient, renewable energy, hopefully net zero buildings. That's all I can do. But, but in the last three years, there's been this pressure and urgency given all of the bad news that we've heard about climate change. And unfortunately, I, I mean, I'm, I'm like Debbie Downer. You know, I, I, I have to tell people, <laughs> this is, this is not only going to affect you, it's affecting you now. You're feeling it, but you don't realize that you're feeling it. And sometimes it's mundane. Um, I'll give you a dumb example. The McDonald's company, you know, McDonald's, the hamburgers. I've heard of them. Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> they, they changed, they changed their dollar menu because of climate change. They simply, because of, because of, climate change and the, and the costs associated with addressing the impacts of climate change, they simply couldn't afford to have a dollar menu anymore. So now it's called the value menu. Interesting. So there, that's, there's something that probably affects everybody if you really <laughs> think about it. But, you know, even, even more importantly, what you're seeing, stronger storms, more fearful, you know, more ferocious storms, uh, the same areas of the country being hit over and over again, constant flooding, constant wildfires, all of that is, that's climate change. It's happening now. This isn't some abstract thing that's, you know, decades in the future. You're dealing with it now. You just, you're just um, either being distracted or, or lied to about it. Interesting. And so is there like a acceleration path that we'll see? Or is it just kind of this steady, it's just increasing, increasing, and suddenly 10 or 20 years from now, like these storms and fires, they're just going to be you know, a little bit more, a little bit more, or, um, no, the curve, the, the curve on all the charts of, of where we're headed is all, it's, it's what we call a logarithmic curve. It all goes like that. So it's, it's, it's gotten worse. It's going to continue to get worse. For example, in the last decade, uh, carbon levels have increased by 20 parts per million. They're now above 415 parts per million. They've never been that high with humans on the planet before. The last time carbon level globally that were that high there were trees at the South Pole. So wow. we're experiencing things that we've never thought we'd experience and uh, hoped we'd never have to experience and, and don't really have a playbook for how to deal with them. In addition to carbon levels going up, we've also then seen um, just in the last decade, another billion people joined us on the planet. You know, In my lifetime, the world's population has doubled. And in my daughter's lifetime, it'll double again. And um, Again, we're not equipped for any of that. We don't know how to deal with any of that. So it's it's a kind of a crazy time to be alive, really. Um, 157 million more people experience some sort of weather-related flood event um, in this decade than they did in their lifetime before. I mean, so this is affecting 
pretty much everybody. And again, I, I don't want to depress everybody because the, the problem is so large and so big. It's, it's almost, uh, we call it an out of context problem. It's, it's almost, it almost makes you want to give up because how do you even, how do you even fight such a thing? Yeah. Yeah. It's so big. You're on, well, can we even make a dent in it or can we stop it? And, and obviously that's a, I'm assuming that's a big part of what you're focused on and working on right now. But I mean, are there things that we can be doing, especially as an industry that can start to correct course here? And um, yeah, I'll start there. (laughs) Well, you know, one of the, one of the top questions I get is why, you know, what's the big, why would an architect or why would the building industry care about this? And, and the reason is because we're the biggest ones to blame. More than half of our carbon emissions come from the construction and and, uh, operation of buildings. And so there is no solution around kind of reigning in climate change without, without addressing buildings. I think it's easy for people to point to cars or to power plants, but you forget those power plants are generating energy to power our buildings. And so what do we need to do? We need to make every building a net zero energy building. We need to look at carbon, uh, not just operationally, but all the embodied carbon that goes into the products that we're using in the building. We need to um, reduce or almost eliminate the, the amount of Portland cement and steel that we're using in a building just because the production of those two items is so impactful in terms of carbon emissions um, that we're now trying to make every building out of timber using either mass timber or or some other, you know, some other alternative, because at least, at least wood is renewable. But there, it's, again, there is no playbook for any of this. We, we're, we're either figuring it out as we go along or we're improvising. Yeah. Look, at your, look at your face. I mean, look at your, I've already depressed you. See, that's, that's what happens. I'm just going down, down, down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I'm, I fall into the camp of, I'm, probably not very educated in this arena. And so, and I would imagine there's probably a lot of people listening that, that are in that camp too. And, and probably a lot of people that know, know a little bit more, but I guess uh, what are some things that maybe are happening to make progress towards this, that maybe somebody like me doesn't even know is possible, you know, or that, that we could be doing um, like in terms of things that you're doing to achieve a net zero building um, automation, just any kind of creative things that you're going, Hey, there's no playbook, but here's a couple of things that are out there that actually are possible. Well, that's, that's what gives me hope is that there are some amazing things out there that, um, that are incredible. So let's pick a category. Let's just start with energy. Just on the energy front, there's been a big push in net zero energy buildings, both for new and existing buildings. And there's a ton of resources available to you. If you want to just know where to start, I would go to the New Buildings Institute, which I think is newbuildings.org, and check out what they do. They keep track of all the net zero energy buildings in North America, and their report is free to download. Um, On the embodied carbon front, we now have calculators able to tell us how much effort went into making something and how much carbon it emitted in the manufacturer, which we didn't have before. On the material health front, we have more manufacturers embracing transparency than ever before, where they'll tell you exactly which are the toxic chemicals in their products. And so now you can make much more informed decisions. And we have rating systems to tell you, you know, what's in them. If you don't know where to start there, go to mindfulmaterials.com and you can for free look up and see, you know, hey, is there a healthier alternative to whatever category I want to use? And then on the policy front, we see um, 33 different states have some form of an energy code now, including 
the big population centers of California and New York. And California, remember, is the, the fifth largest economy in the world. So they've made a plan for carbon neutrality. They have the, probably the most stringent energy rating systems on the books um, for code. It's only going to get more stringent. So if you're an architect or a builder and you're not, you're not fluent in this language, you're going to need to be if you want to continue to build. That's, those are all the things that give me hope and those are exciting. Yeah, that, yeah, that's super interesting. And, and I guess for people, I mean, you probably just outlined one of them as a business case, but like some people may be thinking, eh, that's not going to like, it's not going to affect me in my lifetime. Maybe that costs more. I, I don't need to figure that out. Uh, I think you, you answered part of it, which is, hey, that's where everyone's moving is towards this, you know, states are putting things in place. But is there a business case to it? Or is it purely from uh, like, hey, we just need to wake up to what actually is happening. And this is reality and start making some changes. No, the, the time for waking up was 20 years ago. The, <laughs> the, the, the business case has been fully fleshed out now. And it's, it's really on all sides. So there's the, the business case for the upfront costs. What if I told you that I could I could strip anywhere from thirty to fifty percent of the wood in the building out of the out of the building without changing the design, and in doing so, you could then use that savings to buy sustainably harvested wood. Right, there are ways to do that. What if I told you that by building a super insulated building and maybe even designing it around a passive house type standard, you could reduce the size of the HVAC system and immediately save money? So on the upfront cost side, there's immediate savings to be had, but then operationally, of course, there's ongoing savings for the owner. But if you're a developer, you probably don't care about the, you know, the monthly electric bill. Um, but you probably do care about insurance. And so what we've now seen is the eight largest insurance companies in the world have now divested their portfolios of fossil fuels. They've all committed to going carbon neutral. And essentially, they're right at the point where they're going to say, if you're not building a home that's addressing climate change, addressing resilience, and, and addressing super low energy and low carbon, we can't insure you. Mm, interesting. Soon we're going to see, just on the property side of things, we're going to see entire swaths of the country uninsurable. Because if you want to build a home, let's say, in the Gulf Coast, how many times does it need to get knocked down every September from a storm before the insurance companies back out? And that's already starting to happen. Also, on the larger side, we've seen Moody's, which is the largest credit agency in the world, tell cities that if you don't have a climate plan and a resiliency plan and start having really strong enforcement requirements around this, uh, we're going to downgrade your credit rating. Mm. So the business wow. case is that basically on all sides, you're being confronted with this. In addition to that, uh, 100 of the world's largest companies have all committed to being 100% renewable. And these are not little hippie companies. These are you know companies like Kellogg's, like uh, you know just companies that we use every day. So these are our clients. So our clients are now more committed to sustainability and any remodels, additions, or new buildings that we do for them are going to have to meet the standard, whether we like it or not. So you can be, you know, and I believe me, I got a lot of friends like this, right? Old time contractors. I've been building this way like my grandpappy and, you know, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I have friends like that. Well, the world has changed. And if you keep standing still, the world's going to pass you by. So you're going to, you're going to have to move whether you like it or not and move into this, this new idea. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, and some of those things I definitely am unaware of. And I think, uh, yeah, it sounds like 
people are making some big moves and that and accelerating, you know, in terms of companies getting on board or the whole insurance side of it is pretty fascinating too. Um, and I think that tells you a lot. Um, and so I'm kind of curious, you know, are there any companies doing some pretty interesting or like disruptive things within the space in terms of technology or, um, you know, even on the progressive side of, of making some of these moves uh, towards, uh, you know, net zero or, or beyond? Well, that's, that's, been, that's been so interesting. And, and a large part of what I follow all the time is we have this weird system where we've been building essentially the same way for 200 years. We've been building out of little sticks of wood for 200 years. And look at what we have to do. Look at how we bend over backwards. Those little sticks have no shear, so we have to add plywood to it. And then that plywood can't be left exposed, so we have to add building paper to it. And that building paper is not very durable, so we add siding to it. And then the wall itself has no insulation value, so we have to pump in insulation to it. And then on the inside, we have to cover it with drywall, which isn't very pretty or durable. So we have to like tape that, paint it, seal that, right? And then put wall base around because the edges are all gnawed up. Uh, Like we go to great lengths to make this simple system work that's not so simple, but we've been doing it for so long that we don't really know any better. And what it's left us with are buildings that are way too expensive, way too labor intensive, and don't really perform that well in terms of thermal, uh, thermal demands, resiliency, flooding, hurricanes, so forth. So what I've been following are, how could we disrupt that? And the companies that are doing the most interesting things, in my opinion, are not construction companies. They're tech companies. To me, I'm, I'm closely following what Google is doing, what WeWork is doing, what Airbnb is doing. There's a company called Katera, which is essentially their goal is to redefine the construction industry through automation. They know that human labor is in a shortage and hard to find. So let's embrace it. Let's have robot. How much can robots build on the job site? And so we're now employing a lot of these tactics to do prefabricated components that arrive on the site and, you know, bolt together. We're looking at, we're not doing it yet, but trying to do 3D printing, where essentially a giant printer will print out of concrete a building. And, and these things are now available to us that and they weren't even five years ago. So I'm all for these disruptive technologies, but the, the biggest point is the disruption is not coming from inside our construction industry. There are actually threats from outside the industry that, that we need to pay more attention to. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. So in terms of automation, what, what types of things are you seeing as pretty common today? And then what are like the next couple of things that you think will, that we're not quite there yet, but we're, we're kind of on the cusp of. The common ones are, um, intelligent BIM models. So right now, the architect will design a, a, a what's called a 4D model. It's 3D with like data in it, and then use that across the team. So structural engineer, civil engineer, we're all we'll all be integrated with that model. We then hand that off to the contractor, and the contractor is now drawing up their own 4D model BIM model, which is sometimes, which is most of the time actually um, much more detailed and better than whatever we as the architects did because they've they've kind of built the whole thing, and they're using this model. Uh, for intelligence. They're seeing if there are collisions, uh, potential areas of failure. They're able to do material takeoffs right away from it. It's, it's amazing. The next big stage is um, essentially a quote-unquote artificial intelligence that looks at this 4D model and anticipates problems and issues. Mm-hmm. And then some sort of drone, either flying drone or a little crawly robot drone, 
that kind of walks around the job site and checks things as it goes. Like those, that's, that's right now on the cusp of being mainstream. And then believe it or not, what's coming are essentially robots that install drywall, <laughs> which is going to upset a lot of people, I imagine. I mean, the first time you see it, uh, like a, a robot hammering, think how much better they are at hammering than you and I, where they never miss, they never hit their thumb. Like they, <laughs> they, you know, their, yeah. their arm is, the nail, is the nail right. gun. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Like they're going to be, able, and, and they don't need coffee breaks. They don't need to ever go to the bathroom. They don't need eight hour shifts. Like it's, it's the story of John Henry coming to life essentially. And um, I think you're going to get a lot of people and unions upset about this, but to me, it's, it's almost inevitable. We've been building cars this way for 30 years. Why wouldn't we build our buildings with some sort of assembly line? Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense that that, that would be the trend. Uh, so what, what do you tell people that are maybe fearful from a like job replacement, like our, is that going to wipe out a whole bunch of jobs or do you feel like they just kind of shift? No, they shift. Um, they, they'll always need people that know how buildings go together. Whether on the design side, the production side, the assembly side or the management side. I think you've already felt that shift even before this automation came in. Look at, you know, every contractor I know is now a construction manager, right? They've all, they've all shifted, um, and accepted more risk, more responsibility, more control over the last 15 years. Um, you know, even the delivery models of how we deliver these projects have shifted where architects have been like wanting to release some of this responsibility and the contractors have been more than happy to CM this thing and, and really take it over. So, you know, uh, I think there'll always be need for smart people. I think what you might, you know, the, the idea of the uh, entry-level journeyman who's uh, given the crap jobs of like, you know, churning the concrete in the bucket and stuff. Like <laughs> maybe that'll go away, but everybody hated that job anyway. Right, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, just a chance for us to level up on the types of things that we're working on. Um, yeah, that makes sense. So where, I mean, where does this all go? What's your kind of like big vision, you know, if you were to kind of paint the vision for the industry, knowing all these factors, like, what would that look like? What, what are you striving for if you were kind of guiding this whole, whole ship and, and everything like that? Well, I'm, I'm obsessed with anything that can address these issues around how do we, how do we reduce human labor or, or our dependency on human labor? How do we lower costs? How do we improve quality? How do we speed and accelerate construction? And then at the same time, also, how do we try to eliminate carbon? How do we build super efficient buildings like on the green side of things? So I'm obsessed with all those things. And um, I'm, I'm using multiple ways to, to try to address it. Um, I, you know, I, in, in some sense, it's a bit of a scattershot. Like I'm, I'm going after everything. <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds like uh, those are all like big wins. You know? <laughs> uh, but essentially, I've got, I've got these seven... Uh, pillars, I guess you could say that I'm, 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 we're doing, we're doing it some way on every project. And, and um, you're, you're welcome to have these seven. You're welcome. If you've got others, let me know. I'd love to talk about it. But number one would be radical efficiency, you know, going passive house or better on every single project, really understanding how to make a super tight, well-insulated, beautifully best practice building, which I don't get a lot of, I mean, everybody seems to like that. I don't get a lot of pushback around that. That's good. 
Second is radical sufficiency. Let's use the appropriate technology based on where the project is, who it's for, when it's being built. Third is radical simplicity. Hmm. Let's simplify it. Let's stop being so fussy about things. Let's keep it dumb, you know, and not just to save money, but also we don't have time to mess around with this crap. I mean, I, I think the idea that every building must be a unique butterfly is, is coming to an end. Number four is radical electrification, where no burning of anything inside the building. It's, it's, in a way, it's for future-proofing the building, but it's so dumb that we still have open flames, essentially, around water heaters and ovens <laughs> in a building that we're terrified of it burning down. So let's stop burning crap inside buildings. Number, f- uh, number five is radical decarbonization. Let's really look at where is all the, uh, you know, where's all the carbon coming from in this building in terms of the steel and the concrete and the wood, and what can we do to mini- minimize that? Number six, radical restoration. If we're going onto a site, either remodel or addition or new, how can we essentially clean up the damage from the past? And number seven, and this is, number seven is probably the hardest, radical community. How can we really look to design things that embrace community, that foster community, to get people to work together, play together, live together, that incorporate vibrancy? Um, this could be all the things around density, but also things around neighbor building and neighborhoods and, and all the other fun stuff that we've been talking about for 50 years. But now let's actually do it and incorporate it in. Those seven things, those are my uh, focus now for everything that we do and, and really kind of set the agenda for what I talk about with the clients, which is funny because they come in not talking about any of that stuff. They just want to just build me a building. <laughs> and then you, you hit them with all these, these seven pillars and they're like, wait, what? <laughs> well, I, I do it in a nice way. <laughs> I know. Uh, so yeah, what kinds of what kinds of projects are you working on or focused on today? I know those seven pillars need to apply to those projects, but what do you find yourself working on? So um, everything I'm doing now is is tied to consulting. So um, how do we take how do we take a building and get it to net zero energy? Um, how do we use passive house as a means to lower the base load of the building? How do we look at doing zero carbon, either for a a development or for a full city? Um, How do we help cities with resiliency planning? How do I help companies make zero climate plans so they can get to carbon neutrality? All of it is is really large-scale consulting, not really any design, other than just because I'm an architect, I speak the language of of construction, right? But I'm not really like sketching out, oh, what this bathroom is going to look like. I don't do any of that anymore. I mean, I would, but I just, I, I feel this urgency around around the climate crisis that I need to focus on these areas now. Hey guys, just a quick announcement before we get to the rest of today's episode. We've been getting a ton of feedback on our Done For You social media program. Now, if social media has been a frustration of yours or you feel like you're not posting enough, this is the perfect solution for you. And as a listener of the podcast, we've got a special promotion going on right now. So just head over to remodelersocialmedia.com and use the code radio at the checkout. So if you want to get more engagement and more people finding you on platforms like Facebook and Instagram, hit pause really quick and check out remodelersocialmedia.com and use the code radio at checkout. All right, back to the show. Yeah. And so I guess what would you say to anybody that's listening that maybe hasn't taken a lot of steps, maybe they've taken a couple steps or no steps, you know, down this path? Like what are 
what are some big wins that are also maybe some easy ways to get started? You know, if, if this is unfamiliar territory or, you know, haven't made a lot of progress. Well, it is, it is such a big thing. And there are so now so many facets to green building and sustainability that it's, it's intimidating to know where to start. So my advice is just pick one thing. One thing that, that bothers you, that's, that you're passionate about. It could be something really personal. You know, it, it, uh, you know it, it bothers me to see homeless children. So I'm, I'm really going to fight to look at affordable housing and maybe reversing that. It could be something like that. If you don't want to be that political, it could be something even more technical. Like, uh, I want to build the most energy efficient building I can. So let me start Googling passive house and net zero and see what I learn. And really just start to learn some of those best practices. Or if it's somewhere around health, Maybe it could just be, you know what, for every single thing we put in the building, I'm just going to raise my hand and ask these questions. Where did it come from? What were the byproducts of making it? How is it delivered and installed? How is it maintained? How healthy is it? And what are you going to do with this when we're done with it? Just ask those six questions on everything that goes in the project, and you'll be amazed at the awful answers you'll get. <laughs> and then, but, but then that opens up a possibility to say, well, couldn't we do better? And then that's where sites like mindfulmaterials.com come in as a great free resource to, to really answer some of those questions. Yeah, I, that, I like that answer because, yeah, with, with big things, oftentimes it's, it's like, where do you start? You know, how do, how do I begin? And, and starting with something that actually matters to you personally will make it an easier way to get, get going. And then you'll find new things along the way. So it's just like anything else. You know, how many times, how many times have you or somebody listening, how many times have you gotten obsessed with a new hobby? right? Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, uh, go jet skiing or whatever. And, and you don't know anything about it. Do I need a license? Do I need to take a course? What is it? And you just, you just kind of dip your foot in and start talking to people. And, and, you know, in a few months, you're like an expert jet skier then all of a sudden, right? Whatever it is. <laughs> right, you're teaching everybody about jet skiing. <laughs> yeah. And you're sharing your enthusiasm about it. So just start somewhere. And the beauty of it is, um, this isn't like, you know, 30 years ago when I started, it was a bunch of weirdo hippies and, you know, in the desert essentially that were committed to this. And that's who I learned from. Uh, now it is, it is as mainstream as it gets. You know, the, the NAHB National Association of Home Builders is fully committed to this. The AIA, which is the American Institute of Architects is way in on this. Um, so this is, this is not this fringe thing anymore. It's going to affect you. It's going to affect your business, whether you're a small sole proprietor, you know, cranking out two houses a year, or whether you're a production builder that's doing 183 houses a month, this is going to affect you if it hasn't already. And, and really the, the sooner you can embrace it, the better off you'll be. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point. And I want to jump back real quick, just get granular on a couple of things. I want to talk 3D printing a little bit just because it's, I don't know, it's interesting. I want to know, I want to get your take on it, but what are, what are some cool things that you're seeing in the 3D printing world that are happening right now that, that kind of also weave into some of the net zero and making uh, progress towards like reducing carbon and that sort of thing? Well, the coolest thing about 3D printing is that it's, it's, um, it still requires people to mm -hmm. do it. I, I think, you know, and you've seen these fancy videos that they share on Facebook and stuff where, look, we're 3D printing a house. Well, you forget that there, there are still people that are setting up the machine, that are leveling the slab, that are putting the headers and lintels above each of those openings. Um, plus, the machine's only doing the walls. It's not doing the electrical, the plumbing, or any of the finishes. Like, there's still plenty for us to do there. 
if anything, all it's really doing is getting us to a faster, more efficient envelope quicker. Sure. So don't, don't, don't hate it right away. I mean, just kind of <laughs> yeah. be open to it. But even more importantly, I think the most exciting thing is where we're seeing where you don't have to 3D print out of concrete. You can 3D print out of, you know, there's a company called Wasp 3D, like the bug Wasp. Mm-hmm. And they're 3D printing out of essentially a, a rammed earth mix, which is like a little bit of cement and a lot of mud. And they're creating these beautiful walls that, you know, have some thermal qualities to it. Uh, that to me is very interesting. There's also been some companies that have been playing with using waste products to 3D print, where they essentially grind up like thrown away plastic and mix it into a sludge and then 3D print out of that. I think there's, you know, we got a lot of trash lying around. It seems like 3D printing out of trash seems like a good idea to me. (laughs) If if you can just get people over the ick factor of, ooh, this wall used to be a whatever. There's a a great company I'm on the advisory committee for called uh, Rewall. And they make essentially an alternative to drywall made out of discarded juice boxes. Oh, wow. That's interesting. And it's like, you know, the juice boxes that, that my kid and her friends drink yeah, all the time. The treetop apple juice, right? Yeah, treetop apple juice, right? <laughs> and all those others. They collect these from landfills and they, they have a process that makes them into a wallboard. And one side is finished like drywall, if you want to show, do that side. And the other side is like, is a mosaic of, juice boxes essentially <laughs> it's really cool it's uh it's called rewall if you want to check it out it's uh but i love the idea of that so the idea of diverting waste stream products into new materials seems to also solve a lot of other problems that we have that's awesome yeah that's cool are there any other cool like tools or products that that you just like or think are pretty interesting right now yeah i'm i'm also on the advisory uh advisory for this company called glavel <laughs> which is, it's glass gravel. So it's gravel. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah it's, <laughs> I see what they sense. did there. Yeah. It makes sense when you say it like that. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a really kind of brilliant idea. He, he's, um, he essentially takes recycled glass and um, has this whole process to it and uses it as backfill instead of gravel. Mm, interesting. And uh, it's, it's because of the process they use, it's also insulated. So it's this insulated backfill. So if you're doing excavations, like, you know, if the, the wall's here and you've got, you know, the standard backfill, it's a great product. Glavel is the name. Now that you hear it, you won't, you'll never forget it. But I, but I love that one because it, it solves a problem for such a niche market that most people probably never even thought twice about. Yeah, that's awesome. Very cool. And then there's, um, there's one more to share. It's yeah. uh, a company called Geoship. And, um, they have a, it's called a ceramic concrete, essentially. And it's, um, it's, it's incredibly light, incredibly strong, incredibly insulated. And you can essentially make this alternative to concrete that's really wild. And it's, it's really just, um, it's really just based on the, the chemistry of it. But it's, it also sucks carbon out of the air at the same time. So it's kind of amazing. That is, yeah, that's... That's cool. I feel like uh, I feel like we did a good job of starting with doom and gloom and getting to some cool, interesting stuff here. So, uh, assuming assuming they didn't turn it off after the first two minutes. True, true. Yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll try to fire them up with the intro after the fact. So, um, yeah, I, I guess uh, I, I've got one last uh, kind of set of questions that we ask every guest uh, that I'll get to. But um, do you feel like there's anything else that you know for people that are new to this topic, or even people that have been kind of dabbling in it and kind of making some progress, anything that you 
really want to get the word out about or kind of say about this topic uh, to you know inspire people or educate people or anything like that? I think the best thing that any of us can do is to start talking about this. One of the things that I do now, I do it at, I do it at the first meeting. So we got the project team together. It's the kickoff meeting essentially. And so what I'll do is I'll say, what are the assumptions that we have with this project that we might not be saying out loud? And, you know, the first few will be, well, we're going to build it on time. Well, yeah, sure. But we, we actually say that out loud. What else? <laughs> well, we're going to build it on budget. Yeah, we say that on all the time too. What are we not saying? What do we assume is going to happen? Do we assume the building is going to have, I don't know, drywall in it? And everybody's like, well, yeah. Well, why? Well, because don't we have to? No, there's a whole fleet of other alternatives that we can use that are better, that are healthier, that are cheaper. Do we assume that we're going to have an asphalt parking lot? Well, yeah, don't we have to? No, we need parking. You know, there's a parking requirement, but it doesn't say it has to be asphalt. Asphalt is black and ugly and toxic and makes the whole building hotter. You got to pay a bunch of guys with no neck to sit around and install pipes around it. You know, <laughs> it seems like, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big expense we can do something better. And then you can keep expanding those assumptions even further to do we assume that we're going to flush clean drinking water down the toilet? Do we assume that we're going to have sick employees? And then suddenly the team starts to realize, well, actually we can control all of these things. So I, I very much like the idea of let's talk about the things that are unspoken that we just assume are going to go in every, every project and they don't need to and really start to open the possibilities very early on in the project. And these possibilities will also save the owner money, could speed construction depending on what you're doing, could become an opportunity for the team to develop an expertise or a specialty in something. And that starts to get everybody excited. But you got to do it early on in the process because if you wait until, you know, hey, we're about to go for permit, let's make changes. No, it's not going to happen. Everybody's going to grumble and you not want to do it. So if we can set these expectations early around, we're going to make a net zero energy building. We're going to try to use passive house as much as we can. We're going to attempt it. And if we fail, we fail, but at least we, we're all going for it. That's, I think that's the best advice I can give anybody. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I like that approach because, yeah, I'm sure you just start looking at everything that, like you said, it's assumed, but why, you know, and just asking that extra question. That, that's super cool. Um, all right. So we've got one last segment here with a few rapid fire questions, but before we get to that, you know, if, if people want to connect with you or learn more about what you're up to and find you online, that sort of thing, what's the best place? Uh, probably the dumbest way is just uh, my main website, organicarchitect.com is probably the easiest way to find it. And then um, from that, you can see all the other stuff that I do. Uh, I, um, I teach, I speak, I, I write a lot, but it all kind of starts with that website and you can kind of learn more or just if you like follow me on twitter that's probably even the even the dumbest easier way to do it <laughs> perfect well i like simple so we'll but we'll make sure we link those up in the show notes um all right no eric we got uh, our last segment is called the fast five and we ask these questions of every every guest uh and so we'll we'll kick it off here uh which is what is your favorite business book and why oh uh great question start with why by simon sinek is is to me a great business book. There's also uh, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, which is Lencioni, which I, I used to give out as gifts until people would get, were getting offended. <laughs> and, then, um, um, and then there's one more. Um, 
that I'm blanking on now. I'm trying to see if I could see it from over I know, here. I watched you looking at your bookshelf. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, those, those two are a good, a good start. Those two are good. I start like with it. Why by Simon Sinek. It, it really, it changed, it changed with, it changed all my communication to, to my staff, to my clients, to my wife, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's an awesome one. Um, and five's dysfunction is, is a good one too. So don't, don't sleep on that one. If, uh, if you feel like you might be offended. Um, all right. Next question. Who is the most inspirational person in your life? Well, part of me wants to say my, my 11 year old daughter, because she looks at the world with an empathy that I never had and probably never will. And, you know, that's kind of the magic of kids. So that, that's part of it. But then there's, you know, there's also amazing people doing amazing things in the field that I'm just in awe of that, you know, um, I just watch all the time and they're, they're, they're not famous. They're not anybody that anybody would know. They're the people on the ground doing great work, like working to build sustainable, resilient communities. Like there's dozens of these amazing folks all over that I got to work with when I was at Living Future Institute and at Eco Districts. And I still try to rope them into stuff, you know, whenever I, whenever I can use their services. There's lots of people like that. You'd be amazed at the talent and assets that are just around you locally. You just open your mind to it. I think we always assume that it's always going to be somebody who's famous, uh, you know, or, you know, who's written a book or done a TED Talk or some crap like that. Um, and it's not. To me, the people doing the coolest stuff are like, not that at all. They're just busy doing the work. Um, and I'm as guilty of it as anybody with the books and the talks too, right? So uh, I get it. But there's a lot of people like that. But I, I think, um, you know, I've done a lot of consulting for large companies where we're, we're making them as green as possible and they have zero interest in publicity. They just want to do it because it's what's best for them and their employees and for the world. And when I, we inevitably say, okay, well, how do you want to, do you want to market this? Do you want to, do you want to do PR around this? How do you want to talk about this thing that we've done? They don't even want to mention it. It's, hmm. it's, um, and it's not really humility. It's more of, we'd rather just focus on doing what we do. So a good example, there's a company called Etsy, which, you know, yeah. you've probably been to the website. For sure. the, their headquarters in Brooklyn is a living building challenge building. It's probably one of the greenest in New York and they never talk about it. And when you try, when you say, well, aren't you going to, you should tell everybody, no, we're, you know, we just, we just want to make this marketplace for artists to, to come together. Like that's what their focus is on their big thing, but they built this building. Like there's lots of people like that that are just incredible. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and kind of two sides of the coin, there's super inspiring and super cool, but then also on the other, you know, side of the coin, if they did market it, maybe we'd get the word out a little faster about this. Right. So yeah. All right. Uh, next question. If you could have one superpower, what would that be? Well, you know, I always think it's going to be flight, but then, but then you get into the, the practicalities of it. Like it's, you know, if you go above 5,000 feet, it gets really cold. So then you have to wear a jacket all the time. And, and you can't really go that fast because you couldn't see anything and birds would probably hit you. So flight's probably overrated. So I think, I think it's a, a great one and it would be simple because you can carry it with you everywhere is I'd love to be able to speak every language in the world at any time. So anywhere I go, I could, I could, I could, tell jokes essentially. So if I'm in Italy, I could tell jokes in Italian. If I'm in Mexico, I could tell jokes in Spanish. Like having that ability would be amazing. 
and open so many opportunities for for community. I think it would be awesome. That's super cool. Haven't heard that one before. I love it though. That's awesome. Um, it's all it's all about being able to you know tell jokes. That, that's all I really want to. It all comes to back to comedy, right? <laughs> right. Uh, all right. So uh, number four, describe yourself in three words. Passionate, driven, focused. Awesome. All right. And final question, which you may have partially answered earlier, but I'll ask it again. If, if you could leave our listeners with one piece of advice, it doesn't have to be related to our topic today, but if you could leave them with one piece of advice, what would that be? This is one that I, I wish that I'd learned early on, like in architecture school, but nobody, you know, nobody gives you advice <laughs> really when you're young. <laughs> but I give this, I give this advice out to to my students and people that contact me all the time. And it's, it's, um, you don't need to feel, you don't feel, don't feel the need to do it all by yourself. There's things that you're going to be good at that you like to do. There's things going to be good at that you hate doing, right? Like I'm good at doing invoices, but I hate it. Right. (laughs) But don't feel the need that you need to do everything. You can, you're surrounded by potential partners and collaborators everywhere. And I think if you can kind of get in that mindset that everybody is a potential partner and collaborator, then suddenly we can go a lot further, a lot faster. So if you're young and inexperienced and you want to try building, I don't know, a school, don't feel that you need to organically work up to doing a school. Find someone else that's already doing school work and partner with them. And, and I think just based on your, your passion and enthusiasm, you could probably convince a lot of people to work with you you know, people tend to love those phone calls of, hey, do you want to work together? I have a potential project. Yeah, sure. Who is this? Great. You, you know, it's it's such an easy thing to do and such a simple bit of advice that nobody ever gave me. And I always felt that I, you know, I had to bear all that burden by myself. And, and I, I think I wasted a lot of time doing that. Yeah, I love it. That's great advice to end on. And and Eric, thanks for spending the time. I feel like this was super eye-opening for me and I, I know it will be for some listeners as well. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining me today. Does this mean that I get one of those Builder's Tunnel t-shirts? Like to Absolutely. Get I'll really? One. Yeah. Oh, good. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I appreciate the discussion and yeah, thanks for, for being on the show. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Eric Freed. Uh, We talked about a lot of cool things, some interesting things that I've never heard of, and I'm excited to kind of dive in and learn a little bit more. Um, But I know you're on the go, you're at the gym, you're in the truck, so uh, let's talk takeaways. I pulled out two of them from today's episode. So the first one was to start with something small and just start with one thing. So if you haven't made much progress down this path before or thought about it much, or even if you, you are on the path, you know, just pick one thing that you can take another step on and maybe pick something that excites you and it'll just get you going. And then I think that'll build some momentum for you. Um, the, the second takeaway was the section where we talked about assumptions and questioning those assumptions. So talked about drywall. Does it have to be in there? Is there another option for the drywall? Talked about uh, paving a parking lot with asphalt. Does it have to be that material? Maybe there's a healthier material, a better material could even be a better one and a cheaper one. So explore your options and and question those defaults that are kind of embedded into most of our projects. So really like those two takeaways for today. And again, I hope you enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun for me. And we'll see you next time on Builder Funnel Radio. 
Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to Builder Funnel Radio. I know there are a lot of podcast choices out there, so it really means a lot to me that you choose this as one you either subscribe or listen to regularly. Now, before we part ways for today, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you got some value out of today's episode, please either leave us a review or share this with a friend. We're really working on building a community of construction professionals that wanna treat their customers right, They want to run profitable businesses and create more jobs in our economy. So leaving a review or sharing it with a friend really helps us build that community. And we'd really, really appreciate it. All right, guys, that's all I've got for today. So we'll see you next time on Builder Funnel Radio.